Thank you, Abe, for reading that text for us. Thanks for your leadership tonight. If you still have your Bibles open, let's look together at Titus chapter 2. I'm going to pick up the teaching from this text at the next passage. We'll look tonight at verses 7 and 8. Really thankful for how the Lord has allowed me over the past year to be a tool in this church to open this text up to us. It's a wonderful letter that Paul wrote to Titus, and it functions as a very helpful handbook for how the church should operate today, just as it did back then. At the end of this year, I'm so thankful to be able to look back at all of the things that the Lord has brought this church through, and I'm excited for what He's going to allow us to experience together in the year ahead. This text is going to give us some wonderful direction for how we might proceed together Now, if Emmanuel Baptist Church exists, as our website says, to make a mature, faithful disciples of Jesus Christ for the glory of God through the uncompromising proclamation and application of his word, that's the biblically defined mission statement that's on our website for everyone to see, then this text has something very, very important for us to recognize and adopt in each of our lives tonight as we look back on a year of the Lord's faithfulness, but look to how faithful he'll be to guide us in the year ahead. So I'm excited to lead us through this text. As we begin this study, I want to help you think in terms of examples. Let's think about how we function in one another's lives, how people have functioned as examples to you and I, as we have functioned as examples in the lives of others. When I first became a father some seven and a bit years ago, uh, an older gentleman shared with me a story of his younger days when he had a young son following him in his yard as they cut the grass together. And as the adult pushed that lawnmower along with his shoelaces half hanging loose, he stopped and looked behind to watch his son stop with a toy lawnmower bending down to tie his, I assume to be imaginary, shoelaces at the time. That man in front functioned as a very vivid model for the young son behind who looked at very precise details and was influenced by his dad up front. We were kind of laughing together as as we were holding Isabel tonight, and it was already in my notes, so I just figured that's a wonderful illustration to draw on. But we have a lot of fun as we teach children to express certain things with their faces and their words. We're training children how to pronounce certain words, and we model those words with our faces and our own speech. We're functioning as models to influence our children. We have a lot of fun with that at the same time. If you have ever started a new job at a place that's slightly unfamiliar to you with a task that you need to get good at if you're to glorify God and represent your own company well, then you know how important it is to seek out faithful examples of people in that workplace that you might learn the ropes, as we say, and function well in the role that you've been employed to do. So we're familiar with this role model, this avoiding bad examples and seeking out the good. Those of us who are supervisors in the workplace, those of us who are being supervised, recognize how that works or doesn't work based on the examples that we look to. In each of those examples that we look at, we should be able to easily grasp the influence that people have on our lives and also the influence that we have on the lives of others. Many of us know that the children in our care, and this is oftentimes horrifying if we're honest, 
But the children in our care are obviously paying attention to what we say and do in certain circumstances, such that people outside of our homes get to know us by the example that our children are passing along. Examples are very important, are they not? With these examples in mind, I want us to proceed in the next couple verses in Titus chapter 2 and see that the example, that same example of or that same concept of setting examples is fundamentally important for the health of the local church. If you and I are preachers or teachers in the church, deacons, those who lead classes, and any form of leadership that we have as the Lord would allow us to to serve Emmanuel Baptist Church, then this text especially is going to confront us with the importance of being stellar examples to those who follow us not only in what we teach, but also in how we live out what we teach. Are you a parent? Are you a grandparent? Or are you some other person of influence here tonight? Maybe you're listening online and you're an influencer of other people. I want us to take heed to this text tonight and think even more broadly at the principle that's in the text to recognize that what we do to set examples for others is incredibly important not just for the reputation of Jesus Christ, but the reputation of this church as we seek together to make mature disciples for Christ in a new year. So some influence or some important questions to ask as we begin. What kind of an example are you to those in your circles of influence, especially as you think in terms of being a member of this church? That's the question I want us to grapple with as we leave 2023 behind and serve the Lord faithfully in 2024. The portion of text that we'll study together in Titus chapter 2 is a portion of the instruction that he is giving to Titus about what needs to be presented to members of the church on Crete in order for it to function as a vibrant witness for Jesus Christ in the midst of a really corrupt culture and in opposition to the false teachers who were influencing those in the church. Recall recall with me, if you would, that from Titus chapter 1, there were those who were teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. The church was being destroyed from the inside out. And the leaders of the church that needed to be silenced were those who Paul described as those who professed to know God. They professed to know who he was. They professed to follow him. But the way that they lived was a denial of their knowledge of God. It was seen in their works. They profess to know God, but deny him by their works, was what Paul said in chapter 1, verse 16. So it's on the heels of that description, of that context in the Cretan church, that Paul has been making sure that Titus is very, very clear about what needs to be taught by those who would be appointed to the leadership and also by Titus himself, as they would influence people toward Christ, not away from him. We've seen how Older men, older women, younger women, and younger men must be instructed to live in such a way for people to demonstrate what they believed in Christ to be true and really close the gap such that they would demonstrate themselves to be legitimate followers of Jesus Christ, not the counterfeits that were following after the false teachers. You see words in what we've studied before like dignified, self-controlled, Reverent, good, pure, 
and submissive. These are things that have come up in Paul's instruction to Titus, things that people needed to be exhorted toward in order for the witness of the church to be a vibrant testimony for Christ. They were character qualities to be expected of those that Titus taught if they would be found faithful. It's like Paul has been saying, these are the qualities that should mark our people, Titus. Exhort them toward these things so that we would know that we're representing Jesus Christ well. People would see in us the transformation that comes from a living relationship with Christ and then show, show themselves to be distinct from these false teachers over here. It should therefore be plain to see how people marked by those qualities would stand out in the culture on Crete and perhaps draw people to saving faith in Christ through their example. We'll see as we continue through chapter 2 tonight that another vital element in the contrast that was to be established in the church on Crete requires those in positions of influence, not just those in the pew, but those in the pulpit who would consider their works and their words as we lead people to put off sin and put on Christ. It's by means of this exemplary living that those who embrace the gospel will look more and more like Jesus Christ, while those who oppose the message and bring false accusations into the church would in fact be shamed because their false accusations would be identified to be just that, false accusations. Those in the church would be seen to be faithful those opposed to that message will be shamed rather than Christ's church bearing that reproach. So I want us to be instructed and challenged on this New Year's Eve. What a wonderful opportunity to come together and worship as we think of all of the things that other people in the world would be doing. We get to hear from the Word of God about how we could proceed and glorify the Lord as a church in a new year. If the example, or is the example we set more likely to bring shame upon the Lord and his church, or would it silence those who oppose Christ and his gospel? That's what I want to, us to leave here examining this evening. The text we're going to consider is Titus chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. So if you still have your Bibles open, let's read that together. The text reads, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now, as the one who was left behind on Crete by Paul, with the purpose of setting into order what remained within the church, Titus was to make certain that older men... Older women, younger women, younger men, the basic four categories of the church on Crete, or the, the demographics of the church on Crete, making sure that they were instructed in how to live consistently with the faith that they professed to possess. We've said before that Titus was to teach people to live in a certain way, and we've said all along that it would be reasonable for Titus to call people to obedience based on what was true of the gospel and needed to be demonstrated in their lives. As he explained the gospel with all of its past, present, and future implications for daily living, Titus was charged, according to what we've seen, to call others to being sober-minded, dignified, to be self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Growth in godliness was not negotiable 
in the people that were under Titus's spiritual care. But that godliness, as we'll see from our text tonight, was as much expected in the life of Titus as it was in the lives of those under his gospel ministry. Notice with me in verse 7, right on the heels of addressing others in how they should live. Paul told Titus, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Show yourself to be that model of good works. Here, the teacher of what accords with sound doctrine is being held to the self-same standard as he was calling others to obey. He was called to the same commitment to godly living as those he taught. It's very important to Paul, and therefore it's very important for us tonight to hear that message. We've seen it come up before. As he's establishing a contrast, you'll recall at the beginning of the chapter, Paul says, but as for you, he's addressing Titus very, very personally, telling him to pay attention to something in his own life. There it was to draw a contrast between what he would teach versus what the false teachers were teaching. Titus, they're teaching over here and leading people away from Christ. But as for you, you concentrate on what builds the church up, on what makes Christ look good through the knowledge of and application of the gospel in people's lives. Paul insists in our text tonight that Titus needed to teach sound doctrine to others, He needed to see how they or exhort them toward godly living, but he was to adopt the same standard for himself. He was subject to the same standard. We see he was to be a model of good works, a pattern to follow, something people could look at, someone people could look at and model their own lives after. And that's to be done in all respects. Titus should practice what he preaches in all respects or in all of life. If you use the NIV as your translation of choice, it says in this verse, in everything set them an example. There was not to be one area of Titus's life and ministry that was not subject to the same standard as he held out to others. Everyone should be able to look at every part of Titus's life and see that he was living above reproach. With so many false teachers in the church, marked by insubordination, empty talk, deceit, that's things that we've studied before, what Christians on Crete needed, what the church on Crete needed, was a godly man to follow. And that's exactly what he's being exhorted to be. And it's probably not hard for us to imagine the areas of his life that would have been subject to that emulation, that imitation. Just like that young boy who stopped to imitate his dad as they cut the grass together, those who followed Titus's example would be looking at every little detail at his life. Whether he used his time and money for his own selfish purposes or for the glory of Christ's kingdom. How he engaged with women in all purity, especially those not his wife if he had one. How he dealt patiently and firmly with people who refused to respond well to the word of God. Perhaps how he dealt trustingly and joyfully with everyday disappointments or extraordinary crises that came into the church and happened outside of it because of some political situation. Those are just a few of the things that people would see him work through in his life. And he, in those things, would be a model of good works for them to follow, a pattern to adjust their lives as they strove to follow Christ, taking his lead. 
Paul expected leaders in a church like Titus to be models of good works to follow, examples of those who are above reproach, walking by the Spirit, doing things worthy of praise that contribute to the salvation of others and not tearing people down. Again, note the contrast between what he was called to be and what the false teachers were. Teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach and driving families apart. No. Titus was to be a model of good works. Doing things, teaching things in accordance with what Christ would have them to do. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, says Paul. These are the good works prepared beforehand that we should walk in them as new creatures in Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 2. These are things that serve Christ and advance His agenda, according to the rest of the New Testament. They're much different from the evil works that people would be devoted to outside of Jesus Christ. Note the change. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, those things that serve the gospel. This is obviously a must-have in the life of a minister of the gospel. I think we should all agree there. That's certainly what our text is teaching. Our text tonight makes plain that Paul exhorts Titus directly, show yourself to be a model of good works. The reason that the Cretan church was so disordered was that there were not models for people to follow in the Christward direction. He was to be one of those models. We rightly expect that of people who lead in the church. But isn't it reasonable to expect that this would be the normal model of discipleship for us who are not leaders in the church? One godly person influencing another, pointing one another to Jesus Christ rather than away from him. We see that kind of principle echoed in passages like 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 and 11. Paul is encouraging Timothy at the end of Paul's life to follow his faithful example, to practice the same good works that he was modeling, even in the midst of opposition and suffering. He says there, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, and think of what the Apostle Paul was all about, making Christ known no matter what the cost. My faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, and then the persecutions that he endured as he pointed to the Lord's deliverance from them all. The principle that we're observing in our text tonight in Titus chapter 2, verse 7, of the more mature influencer. Isn't that a popular word these days, influencer? You can be on YouTube and you can be an influencer. You can be on Instagram and all of these other social media platforms to be an influencer. What about influencing people for Christ? We're to be a pattern to follow. This surely gives every member of Emmanuel Baptist Church, myself included, something to ponder regarding how we function as models to the people in our spheres of influence. Remember the words of Jesus when he says, a disciple is not above his teacher. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. With those words in mind and the model of discipleship that we're looking at from the principle in this text, I wonder if we would ask ourselves, what kind of teacher am I being? What kind of a level, what kind of a standard am I pointing people toward? What kind of influence am I providing? Are you and I working with the time and energy the Lord has given to us to build up the church with the relationships that we have? 
Are we engaged in the good works that we've been called to, glorifying God as we bear, according to the words of Jesus, much fruit and so prove to be his disciples? Are we striving to model godly perseverance ourselves as we do the good work of encouraging those who are struggling to persevere through their trials? Are we modeling forgiveness and a spiritual fight in our own lives as we come alongside people who are struggling with bitterness or other deeply rooted sins? For us parents, when our children look at our lives, do they see us making it a priority to live for the Lord Jesus? Or are we modeling for them what it looks like to pursue the things of the world as opposed to Christ? Let's make no mistake as a church that Paul's exhortation for Titus is just as applicable to us as we consider the influence that we have. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. Now Paul continues in verse 7 and he focuses more narrowly on a particular aspect of the influence that Titus had. This was his teaching ministry. He had a major influence in the Cretan church through his teaching. Note with me what it says. We'll take a run-up as we get there. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So as Titus provided instruction in what accords with sound doctrine, what it looks like to live out the gospel and all of its implications, as he exhorted others to put on display the Christ-likeness that they were called to live out, he was also to make sure that his own life demonstrated that sound living. And as he did that, according to our text, he was also to take care that what he taught and how he taught it demonstrated these things, integrity, dignity, and sound speech. Paul was concerned for Titus just the same as he was for Timothy in the other pastoral epistles. He wrote in 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. In 1 Timothy 4, 16, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. We're going to hear this repeated, but I'm going to say it now. What Paul was concerned about in Titus was how he lived in public for the sake of the witness of the church and the health of the church. Here in Titus 2, verse 7, Paul wants Titus to show integrity, dignity, and sound speech in his own teaching ministry and show him different from the false teachers who were causing so much destruction in the church. Only then would his ministry bear much fruit among the people of God. It would expose the empty accusations for what they were that came from the opponents of the gospel, and it would protect the reputation of Christ and Christ's bride, the church. So, look with me at the text, verse number 7. As he fulfilled his teaching ministry... Titus was called to show integrity in his teaching. That is, he was to teach what was healthy and pure. This was the doctrine of the apostles, pure doctrine. He was called to teach sound doctrine as he followed the example of Paul, who, as we learned about in chapter 1, verse 1, 
ministered for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. As he lived the gospel by devoting himself to good works, so he was also to give the gospel in all of its doctrinal purity. He was to teach with integrity. His teaching was also to be marked by dignity. And I love how the King James Version renders that word as gravity. We say that some topic or some person has a gravitas about them. It's a weighty thing. Teaching the word of God is a reverent affair, no less for the reason that God is speaking through it. It shouldn't be marked by frivolity or triviality, game playing or any such thing that we see in the contemporary church. Especially when we consider that the souls of men and the glory of God are at stake through that ministry. What Titus taught and how he taught it was to be marked by the same godliness that he was exhorting men to follow. His teaching was to be marked by dignity. He also insists in this verse that his teaching was to be marked by sound speech that cannot be condemned. And there's that word again that we've seen throughout this letter, sound. Remember its underlying meaning. It's a, one that speaks to health and growth and vitality. Spiritual soundness, spiritual growth. Remember the connection between sound doctrine and the godliness of those who would be exposed to it. That meant that he couldn't go around slandering as he exhorted older women to repent of their slanderous talk. That speech would not be fitting for one who was exhorting people in the other direction. He couldn't indulge in crude talk as he taught the men in his spiritual care to be self-controlled in what they said. His speech, according to this text, needed to be worthy of imitation, not worthy of condemnation. There's no doubt that those opposed to the gospel, those outside of the church, would be throwing accusations, throwing speech that tried to condemn him based on what he believed and what he was teaching as he lived out the gospel. But there should be nothing in what he said and how he said it that could be held to a legitimate charge against him. That's the point here. He needed to be above reproach in what he said. John MacArthur says this to summarize that point. Titus is speaking, whether formal teaching or informal conversation, basically, in whatever he said, was to be sound, healthy, edifying, life-giving, appropriate, and beyond reproach. Such virtuous and consistent conversation is surely the mark of a genuine spiritual man. Think of how our speech impacts people for the glory of Christ or not. Now, what we've seen to this point is that clear direction for Titus to be a model of good works to those he served in the church on Crete. In a letter so concerned with the corporate testimony of the church and how its members were interacting with one another and with the world, he is very clear that Titus is to be that model for others to follow. We've also said that how he speaks and what he says is very important in what he taught, how he taught it, and how he demonstrated how to live it out. Titus was to be a model to follow for all who were in the church such that the witness of Christ would be protected. 
what we now need to see from verse number 8 toward the end of our passage is the underlying reason for that. We often ask, well, why should I want to do that? Well, the reason that he's being exhorted to be a model of good works and good words is at the end of verse 8, look at it with me. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. Why? So that, there's the reason, an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. The motivation for faithful modeling is bound up in that phrase, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Paul made clear that Everyone who stands for godliness is going to be persecuted at some point. So there's no doubt that there will be opponents to Titus's ministry. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, according to Paul. And that just echoes what Jesus told his disciples. A servant is not above his master, or he's not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus, then they will also persecute you, my disciples. So expect opposition. But with this text, consider your witness in the world about your good works and your good words and what impact that will have for the testimony of Christ and his gospel. What kind of testimony would the church have been on Crete if those who professed to know the Lord Jesus went around pursuing every wayward passion that they had? That's certainly what the false teachers were influencing the church toward, wasn't it? You had legalism on the one hand, you had licentiousness or lawlessness on the other, living how you want. Say you believe Jesus, but live over here. That was the direction they were headed. What kind of witness for Christ would his bride be if she went around slandering and being enslaved to much wine? What would the watching world think of the church if her leaders preached one thing in public and lived to demonstrate corruption in private? I think we get the point. There needs to be an alignment of what we say we believe and how we live it out. For the sake of the witness of the church. Imagine the damage done to the reputation of God's word if the lives of the leaders and those being led in the church promoted all manner of rank ungodliness. Not only in what they taught, but how they lived. What shame would be, re- would be brought onto the name of Jesus and the value of the gospel that transforms us. So note from our text tonight, please, that it's important to Paul that shame not come upon the Lord as a result of the unfaithfulness of leaders in the church and those who are led, but upon those who oppose Christ and his church as the emptiness of their accusations is brought to light and their own wickedness is put on display. Paul doesn't want to see shame on the church or on the Lord of the church. He wants... Titus to model good works and good words so that the opponents will be brought to shame by how their accusations are brought to be nothing. When the church is pursuing godliness in accordance with sound doctrine she receives, when God's people strive for holiness by living out what corresponds to sound doctrine, when leaders and teachers in the church model for others what godly living should look like, and when their teaching is marked by pure doctrine, dignity, and sound speech. It should be very clear to the world who is in the church and who is outside of the church. Motivated by making the Lord look good, leaders in the church and those they lead are to be models of good works 
with words that reflect the commitment to live the gospel that has begun to transform us. Everything we say and do should be above reproach, such that, as one commentator says, even opponents of the gospel will have no ground of accusing us of evil. Those who make those groundless accusations are made to look foolish, quite simply. They're shamed when evidence is presented and Christ's people are found faithful to their Lord. Evil is spoken of them rather than of the church. I wonder how much thought do we give to how our individual lives, when we leave here, how much do our individual lives impact the testimony of Jesus Christ and the congregation as we bear his name together? And Paul here is, in some sense, concerned about how Titus lives in connection with what that says about the church that he's a member of. Look at what it says in verse 8 again. So that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. There's no doubt that Paul wants the Lord's renown to be highly regarded, but he's also concerned about how Titus's own conduct affects what people think of Paul and the other believers that they're associated with. Is your manner of living more likely to put Christ and his church to shame or one of his opponents to shame? We need to be mindful about how our lives as individual believers impact the witness of the church. Now let me ask you, how does this concept of modeling sit with us? Are we comfortable with being models? Do we agree that we should be concerned about being models of good works? That's a question, I think, that gets at the heart of it to the issue that we may have, hopefully we don't, but we could have, with Christ's lordship over us. Perhaps you're familiar with the the spirit of our age. We should be. We swim in it every day. It's a perspective that's actually as old as Adam, and it says, I don't care what you say. I'm going to live how I want to live. It's a perspective with which people make it quite clear that others have no business in telling me how to live whatsoever. That perspective gives rise to the comment, how I live has nothing to do with you, so kindly leave me alone, don't mention it. Now, you may have heard that from unsafe friends and family members. You would expect that from someone who doesn't love God. But unfortunately, we hear it in the church as well. It's none of anyone's business how I live my life. Let's read our text again together. Verses 7 and 8 in Titus chapter 2 say, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Now let me observe something with you from that text. Paul expected Titus to care about what people thought about how he was living. Paul expected people to care about what Titus said and how he would say it. Paul expected Titus to live in such a way as to please not himself, but Jesus. I'm going to make the suggestion that the comment, how I live my Christian life has nothing to do with anyone else, has more of a center on loving self than on loving God and serving others through that godly model. 
That kind of comment and the attitude that underlies it has more in common with those who profess to know God and deny their works than it does with those who love God and want to make Jesus Christ look good. We ought to make no mistake tonight that under the loving lordship, and it is a loving lordship, his yoke is easy, his burden is light, he wants our good, but under the loving lordship of Jesus Christ, how I live my life is your business. How you live your individual lives is the business of every other believer at Emmanuel Baptist Church because Jesus is concerned about it. We should want no part of anything that will lead our opponents to examine our works and our words and have legitimate reason to speak evil about us. We should all want to say with Paul, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And this would certainly be consistent with what the gospel requires of us. We read in Titus 2.14, and we'll get there eventually, and really open the text up. But that's the last part of the solid doctrinal sound the doctrinal foundation upon which all of the instruction that Titus has been given so far is built. That's the rock-solid thing on which everything hinges that Paul has said thus far. And it speaks of Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Let me read that again. He is redeemed us from all lawlessness, and he has purified for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. My life as a Christian is no longer my own. Christ owns it. Your life is no longer your own if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. If we can think that we can live how we want as a professing believer and not bring ourselves in subjection to Christ's law, then we're very much mistaken because Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, says Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And someone says, well, so what? Paul says, so glorify God in your body. So if that self-willed, no one can tell me how to live kind of perspective marks us as we claim to follow Jesus, even if it marks us in one particular respect of the every respect that this text causes us to evaluate in our lives, then repentance is in order. As those now owned by Jesus Christ, we have the responsibility of ranking ourselves under him, and we have the high calling of showing the world what a wonderful, glorious, transforming Savior he is. What kind of a model am I? What kind of a model are you? As we take our inventory of our lives, I do want us to see from this text that we're required to engage ourselves to be models of good works for those that we influence. Whether it be our works or our words, we are responsible to bring them into subjection to the Lord Jesus. I do want us to see that. I do want us to be convicted as we see the need for change. 
I don't want us to forget the forgiveness that Christ gives that is bound up in the grace that has appeared in his coming that transforms us. He came that we would be changed. He also came that we would be forgiven. Listen to what Thomas Boston says of Christ as he reflects on the Lord's long-suffering with us. Isn't the change process in us slow at times? We wish we could change more. We sin so often. But listen to what Thomas Boston says that should surely warm our hearts to repent, to turn from our sins, and to turn to Christ and serve him more faithfully. He says this, He bears much at the hands of his friends, but he never casts them off. Oh, the weakness, witlessness, and folly, just the foolishness that marks us all. Oh, the ingratitude, untenderness, and backslidings they fall into. They reflect dishonor many times on him by their way, but they experience him to be the Prince of Peace. Boston points to the long-suffering Lord in Psalm 78, verse 38. Listen to what he says as he points us to Jesus. Yet he, Christ, being compassionate, atoned for their iniquity, all of our shortcomings, all of our sins, all of our failures to be models of good works as we point one another to Jesus, Christ had been atoned for. He died on the cross that we might be forgiven for them. He did not destroy them. He restrained his anger often and did not stir up all his wrath. Behold, the one who has appeared to save and sanctify us. Let me ask you as you Hear the call of Christ tonight to be models of good works for him and his glory. Doesn't that gracious picture of the Lord that Thomas Boston holds out motivate you to repent of your lack of zeal, your works that have not been so good for him, and turn and serve him more faithfully? Let's count on the promise that he gives that our sins will be forgiven as we confess them to him. And let's strive by his strength, in his spirit, to be models of good work. I want us to go into the new year with this vision of Christ that we've just heard about. The one who is worthy to be worshipped. And the direction ringing in our ears as it takes root in our hearts from this text. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. For the sake of Christ's name, through the witness of Emmanuel Baptist Church, as we make a mature disciples for his glory, let us be found demonstrating sound doctrine in the days to come. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this word tonight from this letter that was written some 2,000 years ago. We're thankful that your word is still so relevant for us today. We're thankful, Lord, for the challenge that's come from this text, for us to evaluate whether leaders in the church or as those being led, every respect of our lives in the light of your word. We hear your call tonight, Lord, to be models of good works who are owned by Jesus, that we might serve him. Lord, help us to do that well. We want to be a congregation made up of individuals who are aligned with Christ's agenda for our lives. We want to be models of good works. We want our speech to be sound, above reproach, that 
we would not bring shame upon the gospel, but rather those who oppose the gospel would be shamed by any false accusations that they, they might bring to us. God, we hear the call as a congregation tonight to be knit together around the purpose of glorifying Jesus in 2024. We're so thankful for the faithfulness that you've shown to us as a church throughout the past year. We long for Jesus' coming. We want to be made like him. We look forward to be transforming. Uh, we, we look forward to, to how we'll be fully transformed into his image when he comes. But until he comes, Lord, keep us faithful to the task of making and maturing disciples. Help us to think about and apply this text in specific ways. We will give you all the glory, all the praise, as people are transformed through our ministry as their ministry transforms us. Continue the good work that you've begun in us, Lord. We believe that you're faithful. You've surely promised to bring it about. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.